Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If this podcast has encouraged you in any way, we'd like to ask you to leave a review for Truth Wars on whichever platform you listen on. Now, here's Olin. Lord, thanks for your goodness that you show to us in so many different ways. Lord, we do thank you most of all for Christ, for the gospel, for salvation, for your mercy, and we want to be faithful stewards of this message, uh, of this lifestyle, really, that you've given unto us. And so um, we have varying degrees of experience uh, in trying to talk to others about Christ, but I pray wherever we are tonight that you would move us at least a little bit forward in our understanding and our application of how we can effectively share the gospel. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So if you want to follow along, if you've got your Bible, we can open up to Acts chapter 26. And what we're going to talk about tonight is how to share your testimony. Now, that, that may seem underwhelming to some of y'all at first. If y'all are coming regularly doing this, you're like, been there, done that, shared my testimony. Uh, but I do think it is the most powerful tool that any Christian has. And even if you say, man, I've probably literally shared my testimony with people hundreds of different times, we can always get a little bit better at it. And so hopefully we will together tonight. We're going to look at Paul. There's at least three different times in the book of Acts where you hear Paul sharing his testimony. So we're going to look at Paul sharing his testimony, but then see what can we draw out of this that we can personally apply. So Acts chapter 26, let's start in verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and he made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, in some sense, this is a weird example. Uh, Y'all probably know the history of the book of Acts. But Paul uh, had been a very strict religious Jew. He had become a believer in Christ, started preaching Christ. A lot of his old cronies, so to speak, the other strict religious uh, legalistic Jews didn't like that. They persecuted Paul. One time they tried to kill him. It turned into an almost a riot. The Romans arrested Paul because he was, in a sense, at the center of the riot. And then Paul is kind of getting passed around in the Roman Empire. Eventually he'll make his way to Caesar. But on the way to Caesar, he gets to meet with these different dignitaries, so to speak, of the Roman Empire. And every time he does, it's pretty interesting. He doesn't beg, oh, please let me go. I'm sick of being in prison. He takes it as an opportunity to share the gospel, share his testimony. Now, what's interesting here is he's sharing with King Agrippa, who was the king of the Jews. Now, as a servant of, of Caesar, okay, it was an appointed position, so to speak. But Agrippa had become a convert to Judaism. So in some sense, he understood the Old Testament, the Jewish law. He at least read it. He was familiar with it. And so Paul kind of zeroes in on him. There were other people in the court that were listening. We'll hear some of them speak in a minute. But he mainly, this is almost like a one-on-one personal testimony evangelistic encounter with King Agrippa, although there are other people listening. Okay, Have any of you ever had a time where maybe you're trying to share the gospel one-on-one with some? Somebody, and then other people kind of start gathering around. Well, that's a little bit like this, like, but in a bigger stage. So two things we can notice. Again, this is all by way of introduction. Um, the first thing is if you look at all the three different times in the book of Acts when Paul shared his testimony, one of the things that you'll see is he, he edits them. He adapts them depending on his audience. Now, obviously, he never contradicts himself, but he leaves certain parts out. If he doesn't think it's going to appeal or be very helpful to the person he's sharing with. And then he might add that in later. If you want to do that later on your own, go read 
where he shares uh, with an audience in Acts chapter 22 and then read this account, and there's some things that are different, okay? So know your audience. Adapt the way that you share the gospel. Now, again, so he's sharing with a convert to Judaism who understood a good deal of the Old Testament. In some sense, this is similar for us living in the Bible Belt, belt buckle of the Bible Belt, Birmingham, Alabama, talking to people that even if they're not Christians, they have some familiarity with the Bible typically, right? The second thing you see that Paul does is he starts with genuine respect. I mean, think about how easy it would have been to say, hey, you're a king of the Jews. I'm, I'm, I'm a faithful Jew. I'm a true Jew that's really worshiping the true Jewish Messiah. Why don't you fight for me? Why, why are you just being a patsy of the Roman government? Why don't you get me out of here? He doesn't do any of that. He says, you know what? I'm really glad I get to share my defense with you today. And this wasn't flattery. It was genuine respect. Anytime you're interacting with somebody, trying to share the gospel with them, you ought to genuinely look for any and every opportunity you can to show them common courtesy, respect, because they're a human made in the image of God, even if they're the biggest sinner on planet Earth, right? I mean, I was meeting with a young man uh, just a couple of days ago, having lunch, talking to him about Christ, and he's a guy that grew up in a PCA church, in a PCA school, but he's like, you know what? I don't really know if I identify with Jesus at all. Now, there were a lot of mean things that I could have said to him at that moment that would have been true, but they wouldn't have been helpful. And so what I say, I say, you know what? I really appreciate your candor. He knows that I'm a pastor at PCA church. I really appreciate your willingness to be honest with me about your doubts, about your concerns. Okay? It wasn't flattery, but I was trying to say there are things in your life that I like and I respect. But I'm still going to talk to you about Christ. That's what Paul's doing. I mean, here's just a hypothetical example. But imagine you went out sharing the gospel one night and somehow politics comes up, seems to come up a lot these days. And that person lets you know that they're pro-choice. It's probably not a good time to go off on a rant about how they're for murdering babies. Okay? That may be true. But if you want to win them for Christ, I probably wouldn't start there. Okay? Find another place to start the conversation. Okay, so we're going to look at Paul sharing his testimony. And again, most of you all have probably heard this basic outline before. There's three good points to any good testimony. Okay, what's your life like before Christ? What was it like to meet Christ? And then what's your life, your life like after Christ? Okay, so what was Paul's life before Christ? Look at verse 4. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Okay? Now, a couple things we can learn about how Paul shares his pre-Christian life. He's honest about his sinfulness. Okay? He doesn't try to sugarcoat it. He doesn't try to brush past it. He's like, listen, I was a very strict legalistic Jew to the best of my understanding. But when this new sect of so-called Christians popped up, I hated it. I went after them. I was arresting them. I was casting my vote for them to be executed. But he goes even further. And this is, I think, a helpful point uh, for us to think about when we do our testament. I'm going to kind of give us some troubleshooting as we go here. 
There's a ditch on both sides of the road, so to speak, when you're sharing your testimony before you became a Christian. One ditch, and we've probably all heard somebody do this before, maybe we've even done it ourselves before, is when you almost kind of boast and glory in your old sinful life. It's almost like you start talking about your sinful life so much and you kind of like start reliving the good old days, so to speak, and you're just kind of enjoying like, man, I really did have a great time before I was a Christian, and you're just making too much of a big deal. It's like you have 10 minutes of what it was like to be a drug dealer, and then you're like, oh yeah, and I met Jesus, and it was great. That's not a good thing to do, okay? Anybody ever heard somebody do that, okay? It's like the testimony's kind of losing steam. But there's an equal and probably opposite extreme on the other side where you just kind of sugarcoat and blow past and brush past your sin. Well, before I met Jesus, I I wasn't a good person, and that's all I need to say about that. And there's almost like a little bit of a prudishness. I don't want to talk about what I really did. But, but notice what Paul does. He doesn't just say, yeah, I was strict. You know, I was a zealot. I was arresting. He says, no, no, no. I went out of my way to torture them. I was so filled with rage. I hated them. I wanted to make them blaspheme. I wanted to make them curse God. And so I did everything. Mean, he, he's not boasting in his sin, but he's being very honest about it. And part of why that's so helpful in our testimonies, guys, is this. It helps people realize, oh, this, this person, this man or woman, was a real big sinner too. And Christ had mercy on them. Maybe he can have mercy on me. Now, here's a problem also that I've seen people when you're talk, talking about your life before Christ. What if you have one of those glorious testimonies where you're like, I don't really know when I became a Christian. I grew up in a great godly home in a great church. I never knew a day that I didn't walk with Christ. If you made me pin it down, maybe I became a Christian when I was age three. And it's like, okay, tell us about all your sin problems before age three. You're like, well, I really don't have any memories before then. What do you do then? Okay, You be honest about it. But what I would say is, even then, you know enough truth from the Bible about what a sinner is like. You can say, I was self-centered. I was selfish. I was stubborn. Yes, technically, I went to church and I did a lot of the right things, but I didn't do them for the right reasons. I didn't do them for the glory of God. I did them for... Does that make sense? And you, you won't spend as much time there, but you can give them some theology about just what the Bible says about all sinful people, even if you're like, humanly speaking, I was pretty innocent because I was so young before I became a Christian. But you need to say something about your life before Christ. And then you want to talk about your life when you met Christ, like Paul does. Look at verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who had journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, a lot of times when we read this story, we've heard it before, we're familiar, we can get kind of overwhelmed because some of y'all may have a really dramatic conversion story. I don't think anybody can top that one, right? None of us heard the audible voice and saw the light and became blind and got knocked off our donkey. and It just didn't happen that way. 
And so it's like our testimony kind of pales in comparison. But, again, the danger is to talk a lot about your life before Christ maybe, and maybe even to talk a lot about your life after Christ, and just kind of speed through the, oh yeah, and then I met Christ and it was great, He changed my life. If there's one place that you want to slow down and put a lot of emphasis in your testimony, it's here. It's the meeting Christ. And notice what Paul does. Okay? Look at um, back in verse 14 when Jesus first speaks to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now this was kind of a famous saying in Roman times. And it was from agriculture for farmers with oxen. They would have sharp sticks. So if the ox was stubborn, it could kind of stab the ox to get him going. And if the ox didn't like that and he didn't want to go, he'd kick against the goad. Now, you may have never been a farmer in your life. You may not even know what an ox looks like, but you don't have to be a genius to figure out if I'm the farmer that owns the ox and I stick it with my goad and he doesn't move, what am I going to do next time? Stick it a little bit harder. Now, we don't know for sure, but some of the best theologians, some people like Sinclair Ferguson, F.F. Bruce, when you read them, here's the best understanding. Is that when Paul heard Stephen preach, he started to get convicted. He started to realize, this guy knows the Old Testament better than I do. And what he's saying makes sense. And the conviction started to sink in, and he didn't like it. You ever had that happen to you? You start to kind of get convicted, and you try to turn a blind eye. And maybe the one of the ways that we try to turn a blind eye to something that's convicting us is, well, I'll just get angry at it. And one of the reasons maybe he was so angry and furious at these Christians and trying to torture them to death is he's starting to get convinced they're right and I'm wrong. And so, he, listen, part of what he's doing is he's giving us a little inner picture of the way convictions start to dawn, dawn into his mind. And to the degree we can do that with people. I used to think this way. And then as I was reading, I started thinking about this. It's very helpful to people to understand. And listen, I know God's sovereign and he just opens people's eyes whenever he wants to. But he uses means. He uses us. So we can explain some of the content of how we became a Christian. It can be very helpful. Okay. Now, here's another problem. What if you have one of those testimonies that I call a double clutch testimony? And here's what I mean. You're like, well, and I, I just, I'll share a partial mine, okay? Because it's like, I think maybe I became a Christian when I was like a little kid, like seven or eight. But then, I'm not so sure. It, maybe it really didn't happen when I was 15. Anybody else got a testimony like that? Okay. Let me give you an example of how you would share your testimony like that because this is my testimony. But also while I'm doing it, I'm trying to give you an example of something else. Part of what you really need to do, and I'm going to come back to this at the end, but this is, this is maybe the greatest mistake that I see people make in sharing their testimony. They don't put enough gospel content into it. They tell their story. They talk about before Christ. They talk about when they met Christ. They talk about after Christ. But they don't put enough gospel content into the explanation so that the, the person they're talking to doesn't already understand these things will understand enough truth to be able to trust in Christ. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So I'm about to give y'all my elevator version, okay, the, the fast version of my testimony. This is the way that I've shared with people. I'm actually going to time myself and see how long this takes just for kicks, okay? So I say, you know what, I grew up in a good godly home, and my dad, when I was about seven or eight years old, used a little bridge diagram uh, picture to explain to me the basic gospel, that God made all people for a relationship with him. 
But all people have sinned against God. And there's nothing good enough we can ever do to fix our relationship with God. And because of that, we all deserve wrath. But because God's so loving, He sent His only Son to live a sinless life as our substitute. And then at the end of His life, He died in the place of sinners. And then He rose again. And if we trust in Christ, we can be forgiven for all our sins. Now, as much as a little seven or eight-year-old boy could understand that, I think I really did understand that. I think I really did put my faith in Christ. It seemed pretty genuine early on until I got into middle school and I got interested in girls and parties and things like that. And I basically lost my mind. Lying, sneaking out, drinking, partying, cussing, everything you can imagine. And that went, I knew it was wrong, but I embraced it. I mean, I went into the deep end. And that went on for well over a year. Until at some point, God, just in His mercy, He brought me out of that. And that's when my life really began to continuously change. Now, pause. That was, I think, one minute and uh, 17 seconds, right? Now, I've had practice, right? Maybe that's four floors on the elevator there. But here's my point. Did you hear? There was a narrative, right? There was a story. There was some before Christ, after Christ. There was a lot of gospel content. I didn't say everything, but I got a lot in there, at least to make people think. And I didn't, I didn't give a definitive answer. Well, when did you really become a Christian? Was it at 7 or was it 15? Honestly, I don't know. And I'll be even more honest. I don't care. I'm just glad I'm in, right? So don't feel like you have to explain everything. Don't feel that burden. Tell them your story and put enough gospel content in there so they can understand what does it mean to truly trust in Christ. At least give them enough truth that they can go home and wrestle with it. It gives them something to think about. This is a side note that's an important one. I want to go ahead and say it so I don't forget later. When you study the way that Jesus shared the gospel in the gospels, which in some sense is weird because it hadn't happened yet, But do you notice sometimes how it's like, man, he didn't give that person much content. It's like he gave him just enough content to bug them and run them off sometimes. But he's the master evangelist. He knew what he was doing. He would give people enough truth that was almost like a little rock in their shoe that they were going to think about it. So don't feel like you have to explain everything every time. You can't do it. But give them enough truth to hopefully move them in the right direction to make them think. Now, third point. After Christ... After Christ, you need to tell them something about how your life actually changed after you became a Christian. So, Acts 26, back down to verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. But to this day... I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. So he basically says, listen, I used to be traveling around trying to kill Christians, and now I'm traveling around trying to exhort and build Christians. And they're trying to kill me. And Yeah, and now the Jews are trying to kill me. So it's a clear conversion. I was going this way, and then there was repentance. He uses the word repentance twice, but better than that, he demonstrates repentance, right? I was running this way, now I'm running that way. You've got to give some kind of content to there was real life change. Again, even if you were the most seemingly innocent person before conversion, 
you ought to have enough understanding of how the inner workings of your heart have changed from self-centeredness to a Christ-centeredness to explain that to somebody. Now, here's a problem that sometimes we can run into with explaining the after-Christ piece is this. Sometimes we can make it sound, and I don't think we ever do this intentionally, but it can come across like, look how good I'm doing now. I've turned a new leaf over. I've fixed myself. You should vote for me for the president of Rotary or whatever. It's like, I've really gotten my life together now. That's not what people need to hear. I mean, literally, let me just, you know, let me give an example of how I blew it one day. All right? I was, uh, there was a, a man that had a son on a soccer team with one of my guys, and I'd been getting to know him and befriending him, and I think he had very nominal Catholic background, but we'd have some good conversations. And one day, we just happened to be standing by the fence watching the game. Nobody else is around. And so I got a chance to kind of walk through my testimony. And I went through a little bit longer version of what I did there, but the same kind of content. And here was his response. He kind of said, well, man, good for you. That's great. You did great. And I remember in my mind thinking, I must have done a terrible job of sharing my testimony. Right? Because if somebody comes away from your testimony saying, good for you. You did great. Either you didn't share it well or they didn't hear it well, right? Because what they ought to be saying is, wow, good for God. God did great. And then look, if there was anybody that ever could say, hey, I've been doing great, it was Paul, right? Because he was doing great. But notice again, look back at verse 22. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. It's like he's trying to say, I became a sinner. I mean, I got saved out of my sin by grace. And now I'm persevering and growing by grace. It's all the help of God. And we've got to make sure we let that emphasis keep falling. Now, I want to give you about seven really fast, don't worry, uh, kind of really practical points by way of application. Okay, But the first thing is this. If you've never just written out your testimony, do that. Just take a few minutes to try to write it out. I'm not saying you go read it to people, but sometimes just the process of writing it out. I heard one guy say one time, thoughts that are unclear in your mind tend to become untangled through the tip of a pen. When you're forced to write them out, you get more clear. Write your own testimony out. Okay? The second thing I would say this is try to dialogue as much as possible. Now, some of you all may right now say, well, you're not a very good Bible teacher because you know, Paul just talked for like 20 verses straight. But, but let's keep going. Look at what happens. Verse 24. And as he was saying this, these things in his defense, Festus, which was another one of the Roman dignitaries there, said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. See, still respectful. But I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows, he's back to Agrippa, that's who he's focused on. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? So even though there's interaction... And as much, you know, again, this was a unique thing. It was literally like a trial. But if you're just in a one-on-one conversation with somebody, like I was at the soccer game I was telling you about, or at the lunch I had the other day, the more you can dialogue, talk a little and then stop and ask them a question. Even it's just like, are you tracking with me? Does this make sense? Do you understand? But certainly if you see them, if they're like, kind of like, I want to say something, you should stop and let them talk. Because you know what's going to happen if you don't? They're going to get bored of listening to you and leave or say, that person talks too much. I don't ever want to talk to them again. 
Let them interact. Try to dialogue as much as you can. Okay. The three things I would say is use three different things to prove the reality of the gospel. And we see Paul doing it here. Okay. First is your story. And in today's culture, I think there's probably a lot of people in today's culture, they're going to care more about your story even though they care more about the Bible. Now, that's wrong. That's stupid. But that's what they do. Look at how much of Paul's own story he shared. Right? I can't believe how many people like to watch reality TV. They just want to see somebody's story. Okay? But they do. So tell them the reality of your story. The second thing that we see Paul doing is the Bible. Did you notice he appealed to Moses and the prophets? And there's probably an allusion to Isaiah 42 when he talks about opening blind eyes. Use the Bible. I'll come back to that point later. Okay? And the third thing, just history. Did you notice what he said? He said, hey, these things didn't happen in a corner. If you've been paying attention, you know what I'm saying is true. You know there was this famous teacher that stirred up a lot of followers, and then he got crucified, and then everybody's claiming he rose from dead. Go to history. When I'm sharing the gospel, and I feel like I run into a wall, you ever been there with somebody? Now, listen, this may be with an atheist or a Muslim or who knows, and everybody in between, but I feel like I am... I have shot all my gospel bullets, so to speak, and none of them are working, and I'm out. Here's kind of my last thing. I say, listen, virtually everybody would agree there was a man that lived roughly 2,000 years ago named Jesus Christ. That he was a great moral teacher, at minimum. I think he's a lot more than that. But at minimum, he was a great moral teacher. And that his life and teaching still are having a radical impact on billions of people today. You can't really be an educated person in the world, certainly not in the Western Hemisphere, and not have an opinion about Jesus. Would you be willing to just read a book and talk about who Christ is with me? Listen, they're like, no, I'm not interested. Okay, they're hard-hearted. God's not working on them. Pray for them. Don't badger them. But most people are like, yeah, I'll do that. You may say, what if they don't believe the Bible's true? Again, that's not my main problem right then. I mean, what I mean, they say, I don't know if I believe the Bible. Well, okay. Imagine if you just thought Abraham Lincoln was fascinating. What would you do? You might try to go out and find the best biography you could find on Abraham Lincoln. You're not saying it's the Word of God, but you're going to basically read it in a trustworthy way. You're going to take it at face value. I'm just asking you to take the Gospel of John in the same way that you take a good biography. At least start there. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, the fourth thing, okay. Just by way of practical application that I'd say is this. Try to set up a follow-up meeting if you can. And that's, I mean, I'm already kind of suggesting that. Like, let's read something. Let's talk about it. The fifth thing with this. Try to bring it to a point of decision. And I'll explain by what I mean by that in a second. If you naturally can and if it seems the Spirit is working. Now, when I say point of decision, do you understand what I mean? I mean, do you understand the gospel as I've explained it? Yes. Are you willing to... Trust in Christ. Renounce your sins. Make him your Lord and Master. There's a there's hundred different good ways to say it. I mean, the way that Paul says it here in verse 27 is pretty interesting. And this is probably not the line that any of us should use at the Galleria tonight. Okay, But Paul knew his audience. And he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. He's saying, I'm telling you Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies back there in Daniel and Isaiah. You believe the prophets, don't you? And he's like, ooh, I'm not ready to commit to Christ. It's too quick, Paul. But Paul was willing to kind of 
go for the juggler, so to speak, in a loving way. I want you to commit. Do you believe this or not? Now, don't always do that. As I referred to earlier, you can go through the Gospels and there's times where Jesus didn't always do that. But if you feel like you've got the relational connection, if you feel like the Spirit seems to be working, you should do that. Right? I mean, if you're like, hey, I'd like to share with you some verses about the Bible. Let me share a verse, Romans 6.23. And somebody says, I don't believe the Bible is true. You shouldn't say, well, would you like to pray to receive Christ? I mean, it just that doesn't work, right? You've got to meet them where they're at. But if it seems like maybe they are believing, then you do move that. Okay? Uh, the sixth point okay, would be this. Look at verse 28 again. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? You don't have to say everything in every meeting, knowing to back off. Let me tell you one other quick story. This is back when I used to live in Florence. I had a young man in a fraternity that was discipling. He was a Christian. He had a friend that had grown up in Huntsville. It's amazing. This is 20 years ago in Huntsville. Guy had never opened a Bible, never had a Bible. Grew up in an atheistic family. I mean, literally, the first time he came to a Bible study, he said, well, somebody explain to me this whole Old Testament, New Testament stuff. That's how clueless this guy was. But me and the guy I was discipling got him to say, hey, will you meet with us once a week? Let's meet at IHOP. Read one chapter of the Gospel of John. We'll get together. We'll talk about it. And he's like, I'd like to do that. And guys, he would show up with a legal pad full of questions from he'd been reading in John. It was great. But he would talk for about 20 minutes. Very interactive. And then once the pancakes came, he was very clear. He would fold up his papers, stick them in the Bible that we had bought him, and lay it in the chair. And it was obvious. He's done. He wants to eat his pancakes and talk about the Braves game. But this young guy was a disciple and was so zealous. He'd be like, whoa, whoa, I have one more thing. And I'd kind of pinch his leg under the table. Hey, listen, we want him to come back next week. And notice, when Agrippa kind of says, eh, I'm not ready for this, Paul. Paul makes one more little comment, and then he kind of lets him go. Okay? Push it as far as you can in the relationship, but then know when to just back off and give somebody some space. And listen, if we didn't believe that God was sovereign and working behind the scenes in ways that we can't understand, we couldn't do that. But because God is sovereign, that ought to give us a lot of confidence to know when to back off. Here's my last practical application, and this is more just a helpful reminder. Faithful evangelism is just that. It's faithful evangelism. It doesn't have anything to do with results. The results are up to God. My job is not to convert people. can't convert people. If it is, we're in big trouble. My job is just to present the truth as clearly, as boldly, as lovingly, as gently, as winsomely as possible, and then let God use the power of the gospel. Okay? The gospel is the power unto salvation. It's, it's, it's supernatural power in truth form. And as we share it, God will use it to change people's hearts. Just look back at verse 23. Again, look at Paul kind of packing some gospel content into his story. That the Christ must suffer. And that, by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. What's our job, guys? Is to go out and proclaim that story and trust that God becoming a man, living in our place, dying in our place, rising again, there's something supernaturally powerful about just hearing that message. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ, that all I have to do is faithfully present it, pray for people, God will do the rest. Lord Jesus, thank you for salvation. We are unworthy messengers. Make us faithful, make us bold, make us loving, make us wise, make us fruitful. 
for your glory. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If you have any questions for Olin, please email him at olin.stubbs at campusoutreach.org. 